Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of Hoops Unfiltered. I'll be your host this evening, it's Raymond Lyons. And before we get into this thing, man, I just want to give a big shout out to Wilson Tarpe, Cardell Dudley, my man Rodney in the back. Uh, they're very instrumental in getting this thing off the ground. I uh, definitely appreciate for that. Also, uh, shout out to Bless, Bliss FM, uh, Studio 202 DC for giving, all, giving us all these nice toys to play with. Uh, got a special guest in the house tonight. Uh, Brian Chase, uh, local star at Dunbar High School, went on to play four years at Virginia Tech. Also had a very lengthy overseas career, spent some time in the NBA as well. We'll definitely get into that in detail. Uh, thank you for coming in, Brian. Definitely appreciate you giving us your time. Appreciate you for having me. Yeah, and um, first things first, man, we just had a, a big loss in the not only the local basketball community, but just uh, basketball as a whole. Um, Legendary coach Morgan Wooten passed away yesterday at the age of 88. Uh, career span almost 50 years. Uh, impacted the game on every level. Uh, it's just so much we can say about him. Uh, just wanted to start off, just wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, Morgan's impact, uh, how you feel competing against his teams, uh, what, if anything, he's um, contributed to your career, or just like the players you've interacted with that was under him. Uh you know, just when I started playing basketball and I, you know, took it serious, um, his name has always been one of those that has been spoken highly of throughout the basketball community. Mm -hmm. uh, always, you know, uh, I guess the, the bar was trying to get to DeMatha and play for a coach like Morgan Wooten because so many players have came out of that program. Um, unfortunately, I never had a chance to play against DeMatha, uh, whether it be summer league or in the regular season, anything like that. But I was fortunate enough to play uh, with and against some of his players mm -hmm. um, on the AAU circuit. Uh, Keith Bogans was a teammate of mine, and we played against Joe Forte um, a handful of times on the road. But, you know, you can tell that the pedigree that they came from, um, which was uh, they were all mental uh basketball players they played the game at the highest level mentally and of course i i have been fortunate enough to know some of his former players mm -hmm. that played before me Dwayne simpkins vaughn jones and uh things like uh, people like that that i have been able to watch as a young guy that were you know kind of inspirational and motivational motivation for me in my career moving forward All right and you spoke on uh just how his players are always prepared mentally uh, just what are what are some similarities between uh, Morgan and some of the coaches you've had throughout your career? Uh, well, the biggest similarity, which probably would be my high school coach, who's probably had the biggest influence um, on my basketball career, which is Gary Lampkins. But the mm -hmm. biggest similarity between those two was, was just uh, the discipline that they demanded that uh, we have, whether it be in preparation or it came from uh, the execution of a play um, right. to uh, the discipline in the, in the classroom. Mm -hmm. uh, it was the, those are the, the uh, off the top of my head, uh, the main similarities that I would uh, say that those two guys possess um, equally. Cause I re just remember times being on the road where, you know, uh, Keith was, he had homework to do. He had mm -hmm. to bring his stuff with him in order to, you know, make sure that he maintained those grades and being out of town was not an excuse. Right. So, um, the biggest thing I'll probably say discipline, like I said. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
a lot of coaches from, especially from your from your area, you're a little bit older than me. But stu student athlete was a real thing. Yeah. And I and I think that's why um, a lot of you guys were in tune from the neck up. You know, in regards to you know even on the court and off. But um, yeah, just just wanted to touch on uh, uh, Coach Wooten real quick because you know that's um. You, you can't talk about basketball in this country without mentioning his name. Exactly, exactly. Um, and just just going to get into your story, man. How did you uh, how did you start playing basketball? Who who put the ball in your crib? I ain't had no crib. <laughs> um, nobody put the ball in my crib. Like uh, you know, just uh, my upbringing was tough, mm -hmm. and you know, I was just always outside at the recreation center in the neighborhood, and just always playing. Um, because I didn't want to go home just because of my living situation. So uh, that's just pretty much how it happened. Um, I didn't, nobody never, you know, I, I, I didn't, I was, you know, wasn't fortunate enough to have like my father in my life that would wake me up early in the morning and take right, me to right. the court, take me to the gym and make sure that I was working on my game or anything like that. It was just a neighborhood thing. We always played basketball um, every day, recess, lunch, after school it didn't matter and then uh my best friend uh growing up Derek Payne mm -hmm. you know he was the one probably the most motivation he's probably giving me the most motivation out of anybody because you know he saw what I would do just in the street just playing right, right. and he always said that man you need to go play you need to try out you need to try out for the team you need to try out for the team and you know and not just on the basketball side on the football side too and uh, I did, and I made the football team, wound up making the basketball team, and fell in love with basketball. So it was just something that I just continued to do for fun every single day, and it turned into me falling in love with the game. And, like, being high, you just kind of <clears throat> organically gravitated towards it. Like, you didn't have really, like, the structured upbringing in basketball like kids do half the day, like they have trainers and they're playing AAU at six years old. Like, when, when did you start to realize, like, that you were, you were kind of different. That you were pretty good at this. Uh, my ninth grade year at Kramer Junior High School. Um, you know, if 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 you knew of junior high school basketball back then, or you followed it a little bit, you know, it's a few people that can attest to this. Um, but my ninth grade year, I averaged forty points a game, and uh, it was. I mean, the ball just kept going in. Mm. You know, it wasn't like I was going out there trying to get 40, but a lot of them came from me making seven, eight threes a game. And that's when I really started to say, like, okay, you probably can do something with this because nobody never told me I was a shooter. I never played on the AAU team. Like you said, I never had a personal trainer or anything right, like right. that. I was just going to school every day and playing in the games after school and then going back to the rec and you know, playing pool and doing stuff that regular neighborhood kids did. And uh, and as that season went along, you know, it was some interest from high school coaches just calling to the school and talking to the coach and trying to get me to come there. And that's when I was like, okay, something is something there. Um, and I got approached by my first AAU team and you know, we started traveling and I started playing against guys on the national scene. And I was like, okay, now college is kind of in my foreseeable future if right. I put the work in in order to get it. So I would probably say around 14 years old, 13, 14, I started to really, really take it serious. 
So what, what was your game like back then? Because I um, had the opportunity to watch you uh, in high school and um, in college and, and then, you know, different leagues here and there uh, afterwards. And you, you were a methodical player. Like, I, I can't imagine you were that heady as a, as a basketball player when you were 14. I think a lot of people saw that I could think the game, but I was mainly playing off of my ability to score and mm -hmm. speed. You know, I was overworking myself and I wasn't really, you know, thinking two plays ahead or thinking, the, you know, the next step after I make the defense help, so, uh, help to penetrate and pass. I was mainly just trying to score the basketball, but I could also make the right play at right. the same time. But I wanted to score. So I would probably say, like, I just only focused on scoring mm -hmm. and just played, like, really, really fast. And... <laughs> most of the time out of control in a, in to a certain extent um but a lot of times I stepped on the floor I probably was faster than just about everybody mm -hmm. and you know that kind of gave me a certain advantage and and again like I said my high school coach has had the biggest influence on my basketball career because he slowed my mind down and he taught me how to play mm -hmm. and he let me play right right you know and uh so yeah it the, the 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 mental part of it came with listening and the experience of you know going through those trials and tribulations those defeats or going you going through the mistakes or making the mistakes um, of trying to put everything on my shoulders and not trusting teammates and then realizing that you know when you start to outthink people you know the game slows down right, right. so yeah probably just super fast and out of control. But had a little bit of talent there at the same time. All right. So, it's ninth grade year at Kramer. You opened that cookbook, gave him 40 a game. <laughs> What's the high school, what was the high school recruiting process like? What were some schools that were on your radar? Uh, I talked to somebody from uh, DeMatha, just about every D.C. public school. Mm -hmm. um, and back then, I was so stubborn I just knew I wasn't going to a private school so I kind of excluded any school that came into the forefront from the WCAC I was not going there um, just stuck in my that's what I had in my head but uh, probably the first phone call I got was well not probably the, the first contact I had with any high school coach was Anacostia because it was across the street from my junior high school which right. one block over which is Kramer um, so you know I had had a rapport relationship with them because they were had access to uh me pretty much the entire time i was in junior high school but mm -hmm. i think the first phone call i got was wilson uh okay. cornell jones he reached out and um he just maintained the contact and uh i was almost gonna go to wilson and then dunbar stepped into the picture and uh, it was just something authentic about coach um he was relatable mm -hmm. to me. Um, he talked the way that I talked, right. and I understood it completely. And he was very adamant about me getting to the next level if I, you know, uh, buckled down, had the discipline, and put the work mm -hmm. in. You know, my future was super bright. But, um, yeah, I probably talked to just about every school in D.C., but it wasn't a long drawn out process once mm -hmm. I got to Dunbar or once I spoke to the coach from Dunbar went up to the school met the teachers 
it was a done deal. Like I said I was going to Dunbar right then and there, so that kind of recruiting process didn't even last long. Oh, wow. Okay. What you got against the WCAC, man? Nothing. <laughs> I got nothing against them at all. I just was like, I just didn't want to go to a private school. Like, I don't, I don't know why. I have no idea why I felt that way at 13, 14 years old. Um, but I just was telling myself, no, I'm not going. And I, I still couldn't tell you. I have no idea why I felt that way and why I was so adamant about it. But that's what it was. And I think more so I wanted to compete against them too. Mm -hmm. um, because I, to me, back then, I always thought that they won the championship every year, even though right. that, that wasn't true. But I just felt like those were the powerhouses. Mm -hmm. uh, any school that came out of the WCAC, that was the powerhouse team. Of course, the math was always... Uh, talked about as probably being one of the nation's powerhouses uh, when it came to high school basketball. But I think I wanted to compete against them more than I did wanted to be a part of that. And then, of course, friends and just staying in the city. Right, right. And things like that. That played a big influence on it, too. Now, did you ever um, did you ever consider Anacostia? Yeah, of course. Like, I honestly thought that that's where I was going. Mm -hmm. I thought that it was a done deal. It was going to be a stay in the neighborhood my elementary school is one block from my junior high school my junior high school is one block from Anacostia and you know all of my friends were uh, going there I just thought that really that's what it was because um, I spent a lot of time over there um, you know going to basketball games going to football games because my best friend Dirk Payne his brother Dwayne mm -hmm. um, played football and basketball so we would always leave Kramer to go, go over right to Anacostia, yeah, go right across the street and watch him play football, watch him play basketball, and we we both thought that Anacostia was going to be the destination, but it wasn't for for me or for him. Yeah, you you guys both ended up uptown, yeah, uh, Coolidge and Dunbar. Yeah, do you think um do you think it would have been the same outcome had you kind of stayed in the neighborhood? No, 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 <laughs> absolutely not. Um, I don't think. The outcome would have been the same because uh, too many influences. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the same influences that I had in junior high school. You know, some days didn't go to school. You know, some day you just didn't feel like it. You know, and then uh, you got your entire neighborhood and in the same school, your, you know, sandbox friends and everybody's just funning and laughing and joking and I'm a goofy guy so I mm -hmm. laugh I'm a great audience I tell everybody I'm a great audience and I want to play all the time and that's usually how I always got in trouble just by cracking jokes and making people laugh while I'm the one laughing and I think in high school I think going to Dunbar probably was the best decision that I've ever made in my life because that changed my course for everything that put me on that path as far as my basketball career was concerned. But I, I'm not saying that I wouldn't have not been successful mm -hmm. uh, basketball-wise, but I don't think the end result would have been the same. All right. All right, so you hook up with Coach Lampion. Uh, you do your visit to Dunbar. You guys hit it off. You decide to go there. Uh, were you were you aware of, uh, like, the legacy and the rich history of Dunbar's yeah, uh, basketball program? I was. I was. I, I was aware of the legacy because, you know, back then we had DC 28. Mm -hmm. So you would watch these games that they would, you know, that were already pre-taped on Tuesdays and Thursdays um, at about 
six or seven o'clock in the evening. Plus, you know, I had, uh, used to go to the Herbo when mm -hmm. I was young. So being in that gym and seeing uh, all of the banners and the championship banners, the uh, first team all met guys, um, was something that I always remembered when it came to Dunbar, just seeing those names and championships up there. So when I got the call and I knew how uh, prestigious the school was from a basketball standpoint. Right. So when I got that call to go there, of course, my ears were completely wide open. And uh, that was the first place that we went when I actually went to visit the school, which was we came in through the gym. And I just looked up and my high school coach, he told me, he said, if you if you come here and you do what you're supposed to do, your name will be going up there and you'll be putting a banner in each one of those rows. And that's what happened. Outside of, I'm missing one row, which is uh, a national championship banner. Uh, okay. I, that's the only uh, banner that I didn't put up there. So, or help put up there, because you know, nothing wouldn't happen without the rest of the guys. Right, so it's it's uh what all met uh city title DCI uh, double title and, and national title. Okay. Yep. Three out of four ain't bad. That's man. not bad. Like, not bad. So did you um did you feel any pressure stepping into that role? I mean, like Dunbar's got a like we just talked about it going all the way back to Stacey Robinson and you got guys like uh Donald Ford, uh, Johnny Rhodes, Romeo Roach. Like did you was that even a a thing to you like that? filling those shoes or were you just going to play basketball and it didn't matter? I think it was, I never felt any pressure. I always, because I wanted to be mentioned with those guys, so mm -hmm. I attacked it as opposed to looking at it like it was something that I had to live up to. Right, right. Um, I, it was a standard that I had to live up to. I, I never, ever felt no type of pressure while I was there. Um, you know, if anything, I put a lot of pressure on myself mm -hmm. to be one of the best to come out of the school. Um, but nah, the pressure was, I, I, honestly, I never felt any throughout high school, never. Did that, um, that kind of lead to you really just being able to go in there and kind of play a game and feel your way out instead of just kind of thinking, hey, I, I gotta measure up to these guys or are people gonna think I'm as good as these guys? Again, I attribute that to my high school coach because, like he 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 never harped on it. Right. We didn't have to. He never talked about the guys, for you know, before us or anything like that. Because I think it was obvious. Like if we had to practice in it every day, and all you had right. to do was just look up. You know, we in school, we in gym, or whatever PE, and you mm -hmm. walk in the gym and you see the names. It's, it, there. it's there. You know, and it's a it's a feeling that you got like just being in the gym practicing in the gym because you knew that <clears throat> the tradition was rich so and the one thing he did was you know he probably took all of the pressure off of us just by teaching us how to play and letting us play and you know he was so free with it everybody had the same amount of freedom he mm -hmm. instilled confidence in everybody so it wasn't uh, a thing where if we lose this game, then we're this type of team or right. anything. It was never that he, you know, if you didn't shoot the ball, you were coming out of the game and everybody wants to shoot the ball. So that, therefore, he created an environment where there was no pressure on anybody. The only thing that you had to do was the things that was in your control, which was play hard. 
you he shouldn't have to teach that and that's the one thing that he demanded out of us and that's what made it so easy for us to jail mesh and you know going to win the city title and the dciaa title so uh talk to me about your first year like what was some of the biggest adjustments you had to make from going from middle school to the uh, to the next level it was people in front of me <laughs> that's what I had to that was the biggest adjustment because I you know I'm thinking I'm coming from junior high school averaging all these points and immediately like this is going to be I'm coming in to do my thing some more you know just at a high school level and um we had seniors on the team I really didn't understand it uh just because I was oblivious to it I told you I never played organized basketball really until I got to junior high school right. but you know, it's junior high school. It's not, but so it's it's but so organized, and um, uh, you know, I was coming off, and I was coming off the bench, so that was an adjustment too, because I had never came off the bench, and I'm thinking like, come on, man, like, what are you doing? Like, this guy, though, he doesn't know. I just got finished averaging forty. Like, this guy's crazy. But um, that was that was the biggest adjustment, like sharing minutes and coming off the bench, but. When I look back on it, and one of the things that he said to me was like, you're coming off the bench, but you're our third leading scorer. Mm-hmm. And you're a leading scorer off the bench if points really mean that much to you. Right. So, you know, you're looking at it from the wrong perspective. You may not be starting, but you're still playing starting minutes. Uh, but we have some seniors that need to get into school, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why. It, it you know the situation I was like okay so I started to understand the seniority thing like these guys this is their last year these guys right. are trying to get into school whether junior college or uh, division two low D one whatever and it started to make sense but that was the one thing that he always did he always his communication level was like a one so you never was uh, caught off guard or you didn't know what was going on if you had a question he was going to tell you to. God's honest truth mm-hmm. and sometimes you know brutally honest to the point where you just like you better be able to handle it if you ask him a question right so so at that point when he's um, when he's kind of explaining to you you know why you're in the position you're in and playing the role you're in did you kind of just accept it or did you still like go into practice thinking um, I'm about to take this dude minutes I'm about to take his minutes <laughs> I accepted it but it was personal right you know because I I mean, but it was it was it was personal on a healthy level. You know, it was never no animosity towards mm-hmm. anybody or anything like that. But uh, you know, in my mind, there's no way that this guy's supposed to be playing in front of me. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, that's how I approached practice every day. It was competition. Um, but iron sharpens iron, and absolutely, that guy, uh, the guy that was in front of me, which was uh, he was a transfer too, which mm-hmm. was a guy named John Kyler. Um, it was competition for me because, you know, he was athletic. He was bigger, uh, probably about 6'2", you know, can dunk the ball easy. Um, but my thing was I'm going to separate myself from him. He wasn't faster than me. He couldn't shoot better than me. And these are the things that I'm telling myself every day, psyching myself out for practice just to make sure that, you know, when he goes home, he's going to be like, he's going to be thinking about that next practice because we're going to, I'm going right at him. Um, but... Yeah, it, it it was always. I went. I, I approached practice with the mindset of I'm taking your job, and whoever else was playing that position, you're not going to take mine. Mm-hmm. So it was always, you know, I played with a chip on my shoulder. 
Yeah, so at the conclusion of your first year, how did you feel? Like, was there any point where you thinking, man, maybe I should have just, you know, went somewhere else when I, when I could be able to just do my thing and start yeah, right away? I thought it. I thought about that. I thought about that. Um, talked to, like, a couple of my close friends. Um, the thought of reuniting with Derek Payne mm -hmm. and Al Miller at Coolidge, that thought crossed my mind. That conversation was even had amongst us. And just when, you know, I guess that negative energy started to creep in. Me and Gary Lampkins had a conversation. He completely explained everything to me, and he told me, he said, you got the keys to the car. Mm -hmm. And now, separate yourself. And that's, I was like, okay, I got it. And he was like, in order for you to do that, you have to do this, 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 and this. And it starts with when nobody's watching. Mm -hmm. And from that point on, all we did was just get in the gym, and it was just me and him in the gym, you know, and it was open to everybody, right. you know, after the season was over, throughout the summer, it was open to everybody to come, but I was the only one in there every mm -hmm. single day. I mean, you had people coming there sporadically, but I was there, I was in the gym five days a week, and we didn't have to, it was nothing that we right, were right. paying for, you know, and it wasn't mandatory. Just extra work. It was just work. It was just work. And sometimes we would go twice a day. We would lift and work out in the morning and then just work out in the afternoon. So what what gave you the confidence to walk in your coach's office and have that conversation? Because I'm stubborn and I got an attitude problem. And he channeled that. Mm -hmm. You know, he was one of those because he's stubborn and he had an attitude problem too from the same neighborhood, uh, which were not the same neighborhood, but of course Ward 8 from Valley right. Green. And... Um, you know, grew up the same living conditions, so the mentality is the same. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, when I feel some type of way about something, I'm going to speak my mind. And not in a disrespectful way. It was of course, a, yeah, yeah. It was a conversation, and he completely understood how I felt. And he explained, like he laid the whole blueprint down. And, you know, I'm a pretty smart guy, and I understood everything that he said. I didn't take offense to it, and I was just like, okay. And I bought in. And me buying in, it, it it turned everything around completely from my first year to my second year. So if um obviously you guys had a good rapport since you chose to go there, but did that situation kind of strengthen your bond with him? For, for sure, for sure. Um, because like again, he was always honest. Mm -hmm. He was always straightforward. Um, and we spent so much time together because I was in the gym every day. Right. You know, and twice a day. So we would be in the gym, and then we would take maybe an hour and a half break, get some lunch, and then mm -hmm. we right back in the gym. So I'm probably with him six hours out of a day mm -hmm. during the summertime. Oh, okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And this is a everyday thing, and until you know summer league started mm -hmm. or whatever. So um, yeah, we spent plenty, plenty of time together. He would come and get me on Sundays to take me up Murray. Okay. Um, you know, when a lot of the college players from Georgetown, you have, you know, pros that's in town mm -hmm. um, coming up there to play. And I'm on the floor with these guys and, you know, quite frankly, getting my ass handed to me. But, you know, I had to go through that kind of a gauntlet in order to become the basketball player that I wanted to be mm -hmm. and that I was destined to be. So, um, yeah, we our bond became like super duper tight because I bought in. And I listened to everything he said, and nothing that he said was wrong. 
So what's the so now you're going into your junior season? What's your what's your mentality? You're just headed in to the uh, to the basketball. Kill. That's it. I, that was my mentality. Like I'm not a a talker or. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't do a lot of trash talking or anything like that. But in my mind, you know, I, I have my own thoughts. And my whole thing was like, I am going to kill this year. That was my whole thought process. Like, uh, you know, and of course, that was the individual thought process. But again, it was to win the championship. Um, but I just wanted to kill everything that was in front of me. And uh, we, I want to say my junior year, we came in third place that year we lost to Anacostia who would eventually go on to win the mm -hmm. city title or whatever we lost to we lost to them um but it, it was it was a big difference you know I went from averaging 13 points and maybe two assists my 10th grade year to 19 and seven mm. but it was the way that I played you know uh again I bought in uh again I was in the gym every day so the degree of difficulty on my shots selection was totally different i was mm -hmm. taking better shots you know i was seeing the floor um i didn't have to look over my shoulder and worry about coming out and he would have moments where he would always challenge me to do certain things where if it's summer league i couldn't you know uh i couldn't shoot a three in the first you know in the first quarter i couldn't shoot a three in the first quarter and if okay. i did he would take me out of the game so it was little things like that where he would challenge me to do certain things. So his whole thing was, you know, you're going to get everybody involved. And then he would say, he would push the button. He said, he would tell me, the button is pushed, go. And then that meant, when he said that, that just meant run wild. Because no, now and everybody's relaxed and everybody done fell asleep. And now the, the pace of the game has completely changed. And mm -hmm. he always broke it down to me. Like, scoring is the easiest part. If you break it down, if you if you can score five points a quarter, that's your 20 points a game right there. Right, right. And that's how I always looked at it when it came to scoring. Because mm -hmm. I knew I could score five points a quarter. I.e., I averaged 19 points a game my junior and my senior year because I broke it down into quarters. If I got that five, you know, then I made sure that everything else was flowing smooth and I just picked and chose my spots. Okay, cool. So 10th grade, you just kind of coming in, getting settled. 11th grade, you get your legs up under you. 12th grade, it all comes together. You reach the mountaintop. What does that feel like? Uh, probably the best. Um, because that entire year after my junior year mm -hmm. was a roller coaster ride, but a fun one. Right. You know, from playing on DC Assault, traveling the entire summer, playing against top level competition um, in Vegas, California all up and down the east coast out west midwest um and you know the letters college recruiting letters starting to come in so it was just more of an exciting time to, mm -hmm. to start when you know once i started to see the letters it was like the work is paying off because right. the other people are seeing it mm -hmm. and um you know uh we had had two transfers which was uh two of my teammates on our DC assault team, which was Trace Hainsworth and Bernard Robinson. Even though Bernard was already there my junior year, he just wasn't eligible to play. Uh, okay. Um, but we knew going into this in, into our twelfth grade year that we could actually do something special. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, we got everybody on the same page, and everybody bought in, and it was fun. And um, everybody played hard. 
and you got three guys who just spent your three main guys who just spent the entire summer together right on the road you know together so that chemistry was there immediately um because we were already friends mm. pretty much brothers um and of course it's the chemistry is easy to you know that that kind of thing is easy to mesh when you like each other right and that's the one thing we all did as as a team that year we liked each other you know we got on each other but um you know everybody respected each other mm. in that aspect too and uh we actually did something special to you like we didn't lose a game in the DCIAA mm. at all that year and um you know, I think we had started out maybe in the top 15. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Is this nationally or? And no, locally. Huh. And um, we were right outside the top 25 nationally at okay. the end of the season. But we wound up finishing number one uh, locally, mm-hmm. of course, because we won it all. We won the right. city title. So that, that entire process going into my 12th grade year probably was one of the most fun experiences that I've had in my basketball career. All right, so now it's college time. All right, we know you ultimately went to Virginia Tech. What were some of the other schools that was uh, that you were interested in? Xavier, uh, Pitt, mm, Duquesne, um, and that's pretty much who I narrowed it down to. Mm-hmm. And again, like I'm not a <clears throat> oh in Central Florida, and uh, I'm not a long process. You know, I don't like the process right, to be long. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just nothing. get in and get yeah. out so I took my visit to Virginia Tech and I committed right then and there that was it I was done so kind of the same process with going to high school like I don't I'm, I wasn't going to do all that and you know I went down there I loved the school and uh, I committed right then and there and um, I didn't I missed the first seven games of the season because I didn't qualify mm-hmm. so I had to wait till they started giving the SAT ACT test out again and I wound up getting it on that first test in October so once I qualified I arrived on campus that second semester so that December um, and again same mindset I'm going in here to kill take somebody's spot now this this is what I work for mm-hmm. and uh, you know surprisingly to myself you know they needed some help uh, because they they wasn't scoring the ball really well, um, and you know, and they had some upperclassmen on the team, and they, and my first game was uh, the San Juan shootout in Puerto Rico. So I got on campus like December the eighteenth or seventeenth, and we were on a flight to Puerto Rico the next day. I hadn't had any practice Damn. at all. I had a walkthrough practice before uh-huh. we got on the plane. That was it. And we was on a plane to Puerto Rico the next day. And then uh, we had three games. We played, I forgot who we played the first game. And then we played Auburn, which had Chris Porter Mm -hmm. at the time. And they were ranked in the top 25. We played them the second game. And then we played the University of Louisiana Lafayette. But um, just that tournament in itself, it, it let me know, like, okay, you can do it. Because I wind up. With no practices and just those three games, I made the all-tournament team in San Juan, average maybe like 17, 18 points a game, mm-hmm. and just fresh off of 
nothing off the plane. <laughs> I had no practice, and I just went out there and just played. Shot the ball well, and um, the rest was history after that. Um, and, again, my freshman year, we went to A-10. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I had set a rookie record for most 20-point games in a season. Uh, made the Atlantic 10 all-rookie team. Um, second on the team in scoring. It was it was a great freshman year and introduction to college. Okay. Yeah. So um, we're about to get out in a few minutes, but okay. I did want to touch on some things. Like, um, so you you go to Virginia Tech, have a pretty stellar career. Um, in regards to your pro career, like after succeeding at pretty much the highest level of college basketball, did you ever like feel some type of sense of unfulfillment that you never really? had a substantial amount of time in the NBA or were you just kind of playing it as it goes? No, I never felt, uh, you know, slighted by the least um, because it's, it's a billion people trying to get that opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I know how fickle just getting the opportunity is. Like, it's, it's a very, very slim chance. Um, I mean, of course, I would have wished that I would have had more of an opportunity to uh, you know, control my own destiny, and which right. would have been, you know, getting more minutes or longer, more minutes, just to see if I can stick around a little bit longer. But mm -hmm. you know, I was more so uh, just happy as hell that everything that I, I I put the work in for, you know, I achieved the goal or a dream that a lot of people can only, you know, they they can't even fathom. Right. You know, being on that level. Um, but no, nah, I didn't feel like it was. I needed, you know, more time or mm -hmm. anything like that. I was just happy that, that, you know, to to have experienced it more than anything. And I, and, you know, and it still helped, you know, push along my basketball career overseas. Right. And this is um this is something we talked about before, but I think it's a very very interesting nuance to your career. And I don't think I've ever heard anybody explain this before. But you said you kind of. When it got to a certain point, you kind of leverage the NBA Summer League to um, to kind of advance yourself uh, with your overseas career. Just kind of go into depth about that. Of course, because um, it's all it's business at the end of the day. And, you know, there are no guarantees. Of course, everybody's lobbying for those 450 positions in the right. NBA. But then, you know, when you find your path, and and you see where you can leverage, you know, uh, or maximize your, your your dollar amount, your contract, whatever. Um, you you try to do it, and that's what I did. You know, every just about every uh, first division team was represented, or all, just about is always represented by whether it's an agent, whether it's a general mm -hmm. manager, or something. They're always represented at the Las Vegas Summer League. And um, or Orlando, whatever, and they're there. They're scouting because everybody's not going to get a call to come back to right. vet camp or whatever. And they know if they get you to sign this contract before one of these NBA teams sign this contract, then you know they have you locked in. And of course, you playing on that level, it's an incentive for them to offer you more money mm -hmm. so that you can come right away. So. Um, you know, I, I would probably say by my second or third summer league, that's what I started to leverage. Um, I started to leverage playing summer league for that reason and that reason alone. Okay. Yeah, and that's um, that's a real interesting thing that I think needs to be 
you know that information needs to be presented because I I don't I don't know for certain, but like I said, that was the first time I ever heard somebody you know go that route. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, like there's there's nothing wrong with the G League at uh, all. At all. Like I mean, you're basically holding hands with the NBA team, right? But you know, it's there, there's more than one ways to skin a cat. Exactly. Man. Like it, exactly. Well, and I played a year and a half in the G League, mm-hmm. um, and that was a great opportunity. Um, and that was, of course, coming off of me. Uh, being waived by the Utah Jazz when I first went there. But, you know, once you get on that level and you start to see how the business moves right. a little bit, then you start to change your direction. You start to change your path and you start mm-hmm. to try to put yourself in the best position for you and your career. At the same time, of course, I would have loved to get the invite back to vet camp and hopefully, you know, get some guaranteed money. Right. Or whatever, but you know when those options weren't there, and I knew I had guaranteed money on the table from you know teams in Italy, Russia, France, Spain, whatever. Then okay, yeah, I'm gonna have to cut my summer short, but I'm about to start getting paid probably three weeks after the summer league is over. With. Right. So time to get ready to go. Take care of the family. All right. Well, um, that's our time, man. Definitely appreciate your conversation. Um, might even have you back. There's a couple more things I wanted to get into. Anytime. But, um, yeah, like I said, man, thanks for your time. And uh, this is the first episode of Hoops Unfiltered. I uh, hope you enjoyed it, and we'll definitely be back with more.